Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Story Show. So today we're going to talk about what happens when you don't write every day. A podcast. Well, there you go. <laughs> and then we're going to have a quick discussion about social media, which a podcast is not, so rest assured. But other kinds of media, are these a necessity or a distraction? Elizabeth and I weigh in and probably don't weigh the same. <laughs> and finally, we uh, had the opportunity to see a wonderful documentary called Finding Vivian Mayer. And uh, it's an interesting story about, you may have heard about this woman who is a photographer who had been a nanny. Um, and, you know, a treasure trove of her negatives were found a couple years ago. So, or more. Or more. I don't think it was much more. Anyway, uh, she was a hidden genius. Is art, does art require an audience? Does it seek an audience? So. We'll get there. We'll get there. But first, let's start with, what are you working on today? Well, I just have been kind of going into my actual Scrivener accounts and hacking away at my manuscript and making notes to myself, little parenthetical notes, so Mm -hmm. that I... Because um, I've been sort of flying away into, like, all the possibilities that my book could be. And as you know, as you've been tortured to hash through with me. And I think I just had to come back to the actual book and just try to improve the actual book. You know what I mean? Like, I just remember when I was little. It's was, like dating. Like the actual person. Yeah. You kind of actually have to deal with what's in front of you and not... What they could be. If you're if you're dating someone because of their potential, that often doesn't go well. But if you're dating someone and you can accept who they are and find ways to work with who they are that work for you. Interesting, because I was going right to like when I was five and my friend Lilia and I would play together and we'd be like, I'm blonde. I have long blonde hair and, you know, my name is whatever, Snow White or something. But like, as if, you know what I mean? Cindy. As if we could, but it was like we we could d- describe how we how we looked, which you know neither of us has blonde hair. Um, so anyway, so it's just so I went to like changing yourself versus accepting yourself, and you went to changing who you're dating versus no, no, I didn't, no, no, no. You can see this is why we're married. <laughs> 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 what I actually was saying was when you are holding on to a fantasy about what a person can be. Mm-hmm. You're not really engaging with who they are. And so the analogy with your book is actually much more one-to-one. What you're talking about is engaging with the actual book that you've already written and working with what's there rather than continuing to cultivate the possibilities. And I will say, though, that unlike a person, I am hacking away parts of my book. (laughs) <laughs> don't work well and me and replacing them. <laughs> so that's... I don't the, know. That sounds like medicine today. Yeah, I don't think you want to medicate your own partner, but we can agree to disagree on that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All righty. So how about you? What are you working on? Primarily napping. <laughs> and once I've gotten a I few good... hibernating. Because it just got really cold. Yes. So you're hibernating. That is quite possible. So that has been my focus. Kind of settling down and... and Kind of really not wanting to do much of anything. So there you go. And are you just kind of giving over to that? Are you feeling guilt stricken? Well, this or? feels like a fantastic segue into our first topic about what happens when you don't write every day. Yeah. Or, you know, 
also cause, because I just was in this place where I was waiting for my agent's notes and then waiting for your notes and then waiting for my own notes to kind of bubble up. And, and so I wasn't doing my daily writing thing. I mean, I was journaling and stuff, but there's this thing that happens when you actually are like writing from where you dream, like all the Robert Owen Butler, where you're, you're actually writing in sensate detail, in scene, in moment by moment unfolding. That is kind of the strength of narrative. It's so fantastic. I mean, it's this, it's like, I don't know what, I want to say it's like a spiritual practice, but I don't feel like I have the equivalent spiritual practice even though I've done meditation and stuff it's it's like um it's just it's lovely it's 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 a whole sensual world I mean I think it's kind of like switching gear into sensuality when you're not in it where it's really hard to switch back and forth we won't won't go there either (laughs) I think we should maybe just post some of your facial expressions (laughs) to kind of go along with the pure audio here (laughs) I just I didn't know where you're going with the sensual. That's <laughs> all. We're gonna we're gonna veer away from the sensual and just go right back to when you stop writing like that. It's like suddenly I'm thinking, what if I can't write at all? What if I don't know how to create a scene? What if um, what if what I create is terrible? I don't know. It just it's and it's hard. It's just and when I'm doing it, I don't want to ever miss a day. I think, oh, if I had to pick, take a pause, I'd write a short story. I'd do anything to to not stop doing this. And then when I stop, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can ever do it again. Mm-hmm. So that was my sort of underlying thing about this question. I feel like you have a different question about, like, what if you don't write every day? Well, you know, it's <clears throat> ironic that you're talking about that because I think that there are a lot of instructions to writers. You need to write every day. You need to be consistent in your output. And, you know, there's certain prescriptives about what it means to be an artist and how you do it. And, uh, you know, I am struggling with the fact that I never meet them. That is not who I am. You never meet them? I never meet those those expectations at all. And and it's very hard to accept the fact, you know, without judgment. So you can accept it with judgment. Well, I think it is. You know, I think I spend a lot of time in my life thinking, uh, why can't I do these things that other people take for granted? And yet what's amazing about you is if we say, okay, we're going to sit you down in the library and I'll see you in 10 hours, like you will just motor for 10 hours and like revise an entire screenplay or write an entire screenplay or whatever, right? So you have this other kind of superpower that maybe works better for you. Right. But I think that there's a lot out there that's, you know, there's so much... And I am probably, because of my own issues, very drawn to all of these productivity and workflow and all of these things uh, that, you know, I keep thinking if I find the right one, I will be on target. But the truth is, you know, I totally agree with you that one of the things that's hard is when you've left writing regularly, it is really hard to reenter it. Right. There's a fear there. Although we had that one moment with Ann Packer mm-hmm. on this very podcast where I, where because she doesn't write every day, right? I mean, she's this tremendously mm-hmm. productive, successful novelist who doesn't write every day. And she was like, really like upfront about it. I don't write every day. I'm traveling. I'm moving. I'm yeah. whatever. I, I don't. And I said, isn't it so hard to reenter? And she said, yes, for about 10 minutes. Right. And that was like, I mean, so, and I think a lot of that, I mean, there are these swirling, like, you should write everyday things, and I do have that magnet on the fridge and all of that. But the truth is, it's something I've always wanted to do, and it's something that I then achieved, and that felt fantastic. It felt like exercising every day feels 
after you're in shape. Do you know what I mean? Like the first, like, where you're like, oh my God, this is crazy. It's killing me. And then you get back in shape, right? It just felt so good. For you. In shape for me. No, no. It felt so good for you. To me. Like, like other people hate exercising every day, even if they're in great shape. What I mean is that the thing that... um, I struggle with is like we're talking about how are these there are all these prescriptives mm-hmm. and and you do hear you need to write every day or if you're a person who can do anything besides write you should do that and you know so there's these just crazy. trying to scare off the competition <laughs> probably it's unfair that you don't write every day and that then you can sit down and write something really amazing that's just not fair that's very kind of you. Um, but there's a great deal of shame about not being able to do the process right. And I think that's a real thing. And I think that for myself, I was the person who was never living up to my potential in school. I was the person who, um, you know, would write my papers between classes. There was just, I just wasn't doing it right. And I think what I'm actually trying to speak to here is a sense that, you know, we teach a form of writing, right? We teach a process. And the truth is, anybody who teaches something has a has to present it as a particular like here it is this this is the secret, and you know there's not a secret. Ah, <laughs> I know. Don't tell anybody. You're effing <clears throat> up our branding. I know, but there's not a secret. The the big secret is that there's not a secret. You heard it here first. And in addition, you know the other big secret. You talk, you know, you have this great um, process approach, you know, where you have people think about when they've been successful and what they've done and whatever. How you do what you do. How you do what you do. But when I was thinking today as I was walking the dog, I realized that when I was thinking about this time that I was in that boot camp, it was a six-week-long boot camp camp and I did three weeks without fail and I had a shaky fourth week and then I just fell right <laughs> but if I reframed exercise boot camp. exercising boot camp yeah so six in the morning five days a week amazing uh I mean, if I reframed what success meant if I said I'm the person who can complete x y and z thing in the course of 20 to 24 sessions well, you can say, I, I completed a six-week program in only three, three weeks. weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, right? I failed. I dropped out. Yeah, I'm not saying that. But I do. Yeah. And I think people, all kinds of people do that, right? I failed at this thing because the way I describe it and the way I interacted with it was not a success, quote-unquote success. Mm-hmm. So if I had been successful in that boot camp, I would have completed it. But I didn't even think to use that boot camp as an example of how I do things in a success, as a success, because I perceived it as a failure. As a failure. And so... Well, what impact did it have on you other than the shame failure stuff? Was there any positive thing you got from it? I mean, what did you take away from it? Like, did you get in better shape? Did you enjoy it? Did you learn something about yourself? Did you... Well, I liked the physical activity... Um, I, w- I didn't have a way to sort of analyze it at the time that I was doing it. Um, I think I, you know, I mentioned to you the story by, by week four, I was so bored that I started running the wrong direction. You know, everyone was doing the same direction every morning and it was just the warm up. The workout itself actually did vary, but having 
the warm-up go the same direction every morning. Predictable. It was so, I couldn't, it was that 15-minute window of warm-up, and it killed me. And I realized, like, it wasn't just that it was like, it wasn't just like, uh, this is boring. Like, when I feel like something's going to be boring, it feels like emotional torture. It's like Which this huge, crazy great, thing. Great for writing lessons. Do you know what I mean? Like, you well, can't it, have 15 minutes of we've already done this. Right. Anyway, just put aside. Yes. Um, so I guess what I was just trying to get at is that um, that process of looking at where you succeed to think about how you do things um, sounds good, but I think that there's a lot to be learned by the failures right. and, and to look at the places where we struggled. And is it is it that the definition of success in a particular context doesn't actually apply to who we are as people. So if I had said to myself at the beginning, I'm going to make this a month and I'll feel good about that in that boot camp situation, that would be a success. But I did that boot camp in the late 90s. I've been carrying around this sense of failure for like 20 years. Can we shake it off like right now? Yes. No, I'm totally shaking it off. But Forget it. Forget it. But when I go to look at how I actually work, I was clear. I could look at that and say, you know what? The reason I was able to go that long was because it was social. The reason I was able to go that long was because it was physical. The reason I was able to go that long was because it was outside and there were wonderful things to look at. I mean, it was down on Chrissy Field. So there was the bridge and there was the big, you know, grass expanse and the marina and, you know, so all and of the that. the workout itself varied. So that was all And the, the workout thing, itself right? varied. So Do you think you mastered the warm-up? Like, in three weeks, it wasn't pushing you anymore? And so that, like, do you think it became boring just through repetition? Or do you think it also became boring through skill? Well, I definitely think that, that, you know, going back and looking at everything that I've done, I look at the places where I tend to back away, and I feel like it is often at a place where I kind of feel like I've learned enough. Like, enough to do what I want to do, I know. So I know how to run around in a circle. <laughs> and it took me three weeks. directions. I know. It took me three weeks to figure out how to run around in a circle, but now... You, you yeah. could teach it. Uh-huh. Yeah. The secret to running around in a circle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the secret to running around so in a circle. So what happens when you don't write every day? For you and for me. Right. So for me, what happens when I don't write every day is I do have like a disconnection from the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, But I think it also makes the work new again. Mm -hmm. So it becomes more interesting as I'm separated from it. Mm -hmm. That Uh, happens when you like go out with a friend for drinks. Well, you come back and you're like... I missed you. I, I love you. <laughs> You're the best thing ever when I've been outside, but it's true, you know. And um, I think that is definitely, for me, I can't write every day. If I do the same approach every day, I will. it makes me sad to just think about it. <laughs> and it makes me sad because... Okay, here's the thing. But here's the one thing I would say, and I don't know how much, how personal this podcast should get, but but what I would say is instead of saying, like, what has to happen, what fire do I have to put out today, or what could I do, like, deal with our taxes or whatever, like, is there some other question or series of questions, depending on your mood, that you could ask yourself that would, that you'd have this period of time where it was like, what am I excited about today? Well, honestly, the things that I 
kind of came to as I was walking is like, I was like, okay, what if I took every project I have and I say, I'm not going to do more than 20 sessions, whatever those sessions look like. Because I think I, you know, if I wasn't doing that workout every day, it would have lasted longer in some ways. I don't know. Might I don't have, know. Must, the, the, it is the everydayness really keeps it in front of you. You you, you are good at like it. It's, right. This has to happen again, again um, today. Right. And so, anyway, so I'm kind of coming up with this theory, which will probably change. Yes, right. And absolutely. Um, Otherwise, right you'll now, be bored with it. But right now, it's like I'm I'm trying to think about how I can break my projects up into finite chunks. I think yeah. one of the things I that's think hard seven about seven might be better than twenty. Okay, but anyway. The point is, like, when you're doing something big like writing, there are these huge chunks. As, as you know, you could sit ad infinitum, revising, going around in circles, doing X, Y, and Z thing. But if I say I'm going to do X number of sessions in this area, and I can mark off whether or not I did the session, I can see that I'm moving forward, and I like the planning stuff so that I actually can say, you know, if I wanted to write a novel... I could probably do it in three months if I spent six weeks planning, walking around, thinking, and then making my outline process, and then hitting six weeks of writing. I think I could do that because I would have a map, and I would have a finite thing. And the other important thing was I would actually have a skill change. So at the end of six weeks, what I, the set of skills I'm doing is, are not going to be the same set of skills I had been using. Right. So, um, you know, so skilled, like, you know, what you're actually doing change. Yeah. It's bad when you flip around day to day, but it's, it doesn't have to be bad, but you know, but I think it is, you know, if you, if you're flipping too much, um, but having sort of larger chunks, making finite possible descriptions of, of what it is you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And then rewards. I mean, frankly, like a big project, like a novel does not have a lot of feedback right there aren't a lot of feedback loops where you get positive reward for the work you've put in and um you know the work itself very much is you know can be can be well also like why are you writing if it's you know uh, oh i'm gonna cuss any minute now (laughs) i think Um, we're allowed to that's the thing about podcasts you have to put explicit on there yeah just if we drop a few yeah. yeah, that's lame. All right, we're not explicit. Anyway, so the Except idea being in our salient detail. Yes. So anyway, I was just trying to say that I think that um, making it finite, making it um, something where I get a faster feedback loop that I'm I'm moving forward, mm-hmm. uh, reward, and then. Um, a change of skills after a certain number of sessions. And what I want to note for our listeners and you know is that is that the the system you just came up with is great if they have the same personality and same issues as you. Absolutely. Right, you've just listed like these sort of four component parts of this system which as you were talking about like you could then go sell like here's how you do it, right? Mm-hmm. And and for some people it'll work incredibly and for people who it won't work for it'll still sound really exciting like that you do these four steps and and it works, right? But the underlying thing is what works for you right, and then exactly. how do you tailor your process to what actually works for you which mm-hmm. is which does require so much self-acceptance and I think that it's so much harder to self-accept than to write a novel for example mm-hmm. and I want to say like one of the things I loved about your process stuff is you read all these things about time management. It's like, track what you do every day. And if I have to do something moving forward to figure something out about now, 
I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> you have to look back. And so having the opportunity to look back and pick examples from the past to create a, a hypothesis, which is what I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to test it. And either it's right or it's wrong. But right now, those things sound to me like a way of uh, managing my time that's both intentional and fits my particular way of being in the world rather than trying to write every day. All right. So then I need a solution to my (laughs) issue. And I'll tell you what I'm realizing. One is, so this book, From Where You Dream by Robert Owen Butler, huge influence on me, right? Read it, what, a year ago or something? Mm -hmm. Two years ago. So fantastic. Rereading it, every time I reread it, I learn more and I learn something I've forgotten from it. So, for example, he says, don't write until you know the yearning of the character and it's kind of pulling at you. So he's not sort of saying write every day in a rote way. He's actually, he does say write every day and he says write from this dream space, you know, don't check your email, God forbid, or, you know, don't go into logical language first, get yourself into the space where you're you're connected to the sort of unconscious and all of that. But, but you're not, but you're doing that once you kind of are connected to your project. And then he also says you can revise from the dream space, but somewhere in there, somewhere in there, he said, if you're not ready to write your project, what you can do is this exercise where you, you pick a moment, you know, if you're writing at the end of your day, then from your day or the previous day, if you're writing in the morning, pick a moment that, um, that was emotional for you. And then just write down kind of as if you're narrating a novel, right? Like what you opened the door, you put the cup down on the green felt, you know, just, just the emotional, but the, the kind of the physical sensate details of it. And I might be, I'm paraphrasing this from memory, so it could be something completely different if we go back to the page, but something like that. So I do some of that writing as well. And that is amazing because that does give me the the habit of going to that space. And I just think it's hard to go to that space. It's not, it's nothing we're like taught in kindergarten. It's nothing we're encouraged to do to go into that kind of dream flow. Mm -hmm. And yet, like when we're asleep, we're in this incredibly empowered narrative state where we never think, oh, I better research that before I dream about it. Or I can't dream about that because I don't know anything about it. Right. We just, I can't, we can do anything in our dreams, narratively speaking. Do you know what I mean? I do, but it's kind of a different thing, I would say. Your dream is not for other people's consumption. It can be excruciatingly boring. But it's an incredible, <laughs> it is an incredible narrative skill that's courageous and daring and fearless when you're dreaming. And you'll go and you'll go anywhere and I mean I just think I do think that our writing skills are connected to that dreamer self and and that what's really scary about writing and why most people really struggle with it is because it's hard to to in your waking state allow yourself to go there and to be in that that's why you drink that's why you drink speaking of which are you having caffeine i am having caffeine (laughs) but we just solved your life problems (laughs) no no i know i'm just like i'm sitting here and so i'm just yeah you're in you're getting towards your dream state yes i'm getting right towards my dream state well in any case i just i guess I will, I will probably, you know, I'll continue to experiment, but. But what is your thing? I don't understand what your question is. Like when I'm not working on a project, how do I stay connected to that, that power of writing kind of close narrative sensate, um, writing, 
you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes without being working on a sometimes project. I do a lot of journaling, but that journaling can be very that other kind of stuff, the the junk in my head. And the truth is, that's kind of can be great too because it all keeps me connected to writing and thinking and and the writing and thinking. Is it hard for you to get back to that space? Um, it's hard for me before I do it. It's like hard for me to climb on the bike, but actually, I would, once but I start pedaling. I would suggest you might actually really observe if you are between your project moments. Because um, I don't know how much of that dream state writing goes into your novel. So much. Okay. And it's the best writing I've ever done. Okay. That's the feedback I'm getting on it. Um, so, my suggestion might be then, you... Do like a short story while you're not working well, that, on your novel. That's sort of what I thought, but sometimes, yeah. But I'm sometimes. If you want to be narrative, and if you don't want to be narrative, just have like morning pages. No, and I do sometimes. I do this crazy poetry. Yeah, remember that. You, so it sounds like you actually have a lot of solutions. <laughs> it's to, just more like, do they count? Are they okay? This is exactly what I was just talking about. Self acceptance. Yeah. Right. Why wouldn't they count? <laughs> Well, I think it's the fear part. I think it's it's that if I'm starting to get to that place where I'm afraid of doing it, I think I have to do like a paragraph of sensate, scenic, narrative writing like every day just to like keep myself centered in that possibility. It's like a little bit of a magic power that I can just forget exists. Okay. And then, and then everything else is like self-acceptance. <laughs> I don't know. We'll keep thinking about it. Let's move on to social media. Well, necessity yeah. or distraction. So we read this article. Because there are actually only two ways to think of it. Yes, those are the choices. Necessity or distraction. Yes. Um, I would like to just pull up this article that we read. And um, that may or may not be easily possible. <laughs> from the New York Times, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, so this so the, this guy wrote... It'll be in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. But I just wanted us to be looking at it because there are a few, like, really key amazing things about it. Um, and and so there's the... And then there was a rebuttal to it. Did you... Do you want to try to just say what either... The- well, one guy uh, was a scientist and something else. Computer scientist. Computer scientist. And writer. And writer. That, which else. was surprising, which was surprising given what I thought was the quality of writing. So like I have to say, the way this person wrote, to my mind, it read a great deal like a somewhat disgruntled high school student. Oh my god, you're critiquing his writing. Oh, that's okay, it's a writing podcast. Quit social media, your career may depend on it by Cal Newport. All right, writing Cal. Angie doesn't appreciate. No, I just, it's, it's a little... Okay, so, and he quotes Andrew Sullivan, and anyway, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing that was really exciting to me. I'm just Mm going to say, like, the two or three points. One is um, that this idea that that you, you know, quitting social media can hurt your career because you have to be out there. And, like, I mean, I was talking to a friend, and she said, well, don't, won't people forget about you between books? I'm like, really, social media is not going to help me at this point with that. But, um... You know, we've he says so. He says Cal says we've been told that that it's important to tend to your so-called social media brand, as this provides you access to opportunities you otherwise might miss and supports the diverse contact networks you need to get ahead. Um, and then he has this a little bit later. He says, in a capitalist economy, the market re- rewards things that are rare and valuable. Social media use is decidedly not rare or valuable. Any sixteen-year-old with a smartphone can. I would dis- so. First of all, I would disagree with that. Right there, I um, I think 
Yes, social media use is ubiquitous, but savvy social media use is not. So we, just like anybody, like, writing, you know, their whole fan fiction. what is savvy social media use? For example, I mean, I can go and write a punctuated, you know, fairly articulate sentence off the top of my head and post it and, you know, but... But I, it's not my best work as a writer if I don't think about well, it. Well, let's think about this as a backup for a minute. Because there, there's a statement that's happening here that I think is not completely unpacked. Okay. So his statement about quitting social media, is it geared to the stay-at-home individual entrepreneur? Is his statement geared toward... You know, because I think what's true is that in-person contacts and in film industry is very, very much like this. Your in-person contacts are going to make a big difference yes. to your ability to get your next job. That said, you know, I remember listening to a Pilar Alessandra podcast and someone was talking about someone they connected with through an online gaming situation. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's as simple as necessity or uh, distraction. I think it is a tool that depending on who you are and what your aims are, um, can be an effective tool. I just think that I've seen it, it take up an unbelievable amount of time mm-hmm. and that it's it's this mode, it's sort of cocktail party mode. Like, And it can be witty or it can be stupid or whatever. It can be really interesting. But, um, you know, but the idea, for example, that, that it curates, I think, is... I mean, I just, I just think there are deeper, more deeply structured services that are curating and are thinking about and are um, just more evolved because they're not a cocktail party. So give me an example. Um, so I mean, even like uh, comedic news, right? Like like Samantha B, like The Daily Show, right? Mm-hmm. These these are things that they're not just like, hi, I'm funny, so I'm just going to like scan for things and make commentary they're like developing jokes right there then they stand up there and they seem spontaneous and witty and they're going through the thing so i think there's a fundamental misunderstanding about what social media is and what it's for and i think that to say i think that people do uh definitely have i don't disagree with the idea that it's it's designed to be addictive right because right, we have a complete uh advertising model Based on that, right? And we know that we check our email, which isn't technically social media, but we'll often check our email for that little endorphin hit. So I know all of that stuff is plugged into that. Right. But you don't have to go online all day. Well, well and you well, don't. And so there's not. But, but actually, also, I want to say, too, that like responding to something immediately, even in a clever, witty way or in a passionate way or in a just on, raw, honest way, it robs you as a writer of this process where you write down your thoughts and then you think about and revise them and you're in conversation with things and you pull them in. But that I don't think is true. Like I think you can make a choice about how and where you respond to things. Well, that's what I'm talking. I'm not talking about like everyone should be forced off social media or I'm not even like shutting down my thing, but I'm not checking it very much. So Right. But I'll say there are a number of online journals. So like if you're looking at the different processes, as I said before, I think this is kind of a straw man argument. It's not actually saying anything. 
Oh, I completely disagree. I mean, and I found it really heartening for me. Like, I found it, like, the idea... But I think that you're in a place where you actually have more social media use than you feel okay with. So what you did then is when you looked at this, because I looked at the rebuttal, and mm-hmm. I know that you looked at the rebuttal, and, and you will be in the show notes too. And when you read the rebuttal, you were unconvinced by the person's rebuttal, and I was unconvinced by this argument. And I think, like all people, we kind of look at things, and if they resonate with our own experience or things that we're feeling aspirational about, we're like, yes, that. And if they don't, then we're like, oh. And I just feel like what's happened is this is a false setup because the truth is I don't think you have to get off of social media. I don't think either this person or the rebuttal made great arguments. No. Nor were they well documented regarding studies or the impact of things, right? A lot of this is sort of their anecdotal experience. Mm -hmm. So all of this is really just an opinion piece. Well, okay, so let me just say for me as a writer that the idea of backing off of responding to the world via social media, which I think in this particular political historical moment also was starting to seem just like frustrating and, and like who cares? You know what I mean? Like we're, we're, we're losing power even though we're witty and, and you know, the whole media, I mean, there's that other piece. The whole media world was telling me, this is what's going to happen. And it was wrong. And I just, it's like, so I, so, so, this, so this, this, you're responding to Hillary Clinton's lost. Well, so there, there, there's the, the bubble is one thing. Mm-hmm. And I will say I'm so like, as somebody who grew up in Berkeley, went to school in Santa Cruz, went to school in New York, lived in Sebastopol, lived in San Francisco. And you're know, like, that's it. Right. I mean, I've traveled and stuff, but I mean, my, my bubble is so complete. It's like, I literally have, if I have a friend who voted for Trump, a Facebook friend, and I'm not, like, very exclusive, but if I have a Facebook friend who voted for Trump, I have no idea about it. Like, I don't think anybody I even know voted for Trump. So, yes. Yeah, so I'm in a complete bubble, and the bubble was just like, oh, my God, there's no oxygen in here, right? So that was definitely one thing. But on the intellectual front, since we're a podcast for story makers, I just want to say that giving that I think that time and revision and this conversation you have with yourself before it's with the world is a rich part of writing that I just wanted to take back. And also reaching out for other kinds of connections with people um, and thinking about of the, you know, 800 people or whatever that I'm friends with who I don't even know how many people, but like of all of those people, who am I going to actually make an effort to see or to reach out to or to, you know, to contact in some way if, I'm not on Facebook with them. And and how am I going to do that? And might that be more real? You know, even if it's just sending, you know, National Geographic kids to our friends in, in, in Oregon, it's just like, that's just something like sweet and real. I, it's also sort of consumerist and whatever. And it's, but it's like, it's not a handwritten but they letter. they are mutually exclusive. Yeah, but I have a limited amount of time. I don't disagree with that, and, and and I don't say that for you, you should be on Facebook. I'm not actually saying that you should participate in social media, but I think a dire, you know, clickbait headline that says, get off of social media, your career may depend on it, is an opinion piece masquerading as insight. And the truth is, there, I think people know. That Facebook is a time suck. That's why we have things like but freedom. That's totally, why we have yes, things like... Yes. But it's so addictive. And I just... When I see students who aren't writing and don't have time to write and they're 
really involved with Facebook, I feel like I would I would like to see what they're going to produce. Like I I would like to see the talent directed. And if Facebook wasn't there, I guarantee you those same people would be doing something else. And maybe it would be writing. I don't think so. <laughs> what I'm saying is when you don't want to write, when you're afraid of writing, you're going to find the thing that will fill your time. So even if Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Pinterest or... All right. Well, for me, making that choice felt really exciting. Absolutely. It felt so exciting. And it felt like it was a good reminder to me to slow down and to use, and to use that part of the creative process in my thinking. No, absolutely. absolutely. So... But the tool, um, you know, no one's saying social media is the, the key tool to making your uh, artistic life whole. But I do think there's, in, in writing circles, there's a strong belief that this is going to really be important for your career. And I actually don't think we buy books because we're social media friends with people or because they're clever or tweet things or whatever. I think we buy books because maybe someone else said, oh my God, I just read this I book. think it depends the kind of book you write. What book have you written because the author... Read? Because yeah. <laughs> I've written several books. Yeah, what book have you written because the, yeah. the author was on Facebook? That's, that's <laughs> a deeper question. Um, but what book have you read because you're friends with or followers of the author? Uh, well, I will say this. Business people. So there are people who, like Tim Ferriss. Like, but we haven't bought his book. No. Tools of the Titans. And I will say, I'm really interested in it. And every time he talks about why he did it and what's so exciting about it, I think, I want that book. And then he segues into asking us as a favor to buy the book. And it's just, it's like, wow, you would never do that for any other product. Like any, you would never be like, you know what? I worked really hard on this information product or this course, this whatever. Would you buy it? Because it'll really make a difference to my success if you buy this thing for me. And it's like, people do that about books. And I'm just like, don't do that. It's terrible, terrible marketing. Okay. All right, should we segue? <laughs> so Roughly, I think... Can you, can you come up with something? To, can I make a smooth segue? Please? Yes. I bet you can. There's a, yeah, so social media is filled with photographs of <laughs> random crap. And in fact, this next book... Or not next book, next movie that we're about to discuss. One of the ways that this artist became known and actually f- developed a following was by having her uh, prints be scanned and uploaded onto Flickr, which is also a social well, media let's, stream. So let's go back to However, this. That is how she found the beginning. But she her- was dead, so let's acknowledge that she had this incredible creative pursuit of taking gorgeous i mean really you see the photographs and you're just like oh my hundreds God, of thousands gorgeous of but they're like they're exceptional and and, and and i don't even sort of have an aesthetic so she wasn't on Flickr because she was dead before her things were most of them were even on paper they were negatives right, right. Some of no, them no. Were even not even developed that, right so we're talking about <laughs> vivian mayer so this is like the opposite of a social media career right she's somebody who who had no career except the creative part well you're forgetting her nannying i'm talking about her photography <laughs> but her photography would have remained unconnected if there hadn't been distribution networks that allowed her visual her striking visual work to get out there so yeah posthumous fame i mean if, if you know she's gonna have posthumous if, fame anyway if that you're wasn't listening to this end i'm dead then go ahead and consider posthumous fame for me but otherwise i'll say right now it's not as exciting to me 
<laughs> I don't think so either, but she's a vital artist. And whether she received it or not, part of the process of bringing her images into the world at large and to build the momentum that then got her into other actual uh, galleries was started because there was a response in a social media network, and that well, was Flickr. This is, so, here, so here's just to recap for anybody who hasn't seen Finding Vivian Mare, is that the, Vivian Mare, is that this guy... Um, Maloof. Bought her, bought a box of negatives because he was writing about a historical period in Chicago, and these were pictures from that time and place. And, and then he looked at them, and he says this wonderful thing in the documentary about, like, I... I didn't know if they were good, but I knew that I thought they were good, which I just love that, right? Like, cause, because how do we ever know, right? But we, and, and, and I had that response to them. Like, you have a response to them, and it's just exciting. And so he is also somebody who is possessed of these incredible skills where he's organizing everything and scanning and uploading, and, and then when it goes beyond him, he's hiring people, and he's doing outreach to galleries, and he's disappointed that some museums won't take Moma, them yes. because, because she didn't make the actual prints. All of this is, I think, so wonderfully removed from the art and the artist herself. I mean, wonderfully, except that she's also not experiencing it because she's dead. But, like, that part is so hard. And this woman is, like, this hoarder who took just gazillions. Hundreds of thousands millions, of pictures. Thousands, I, don't, I don't think she took I mean, millions. Thousands and thousands, boxes and boxes of, like, you know, hundreds of undeveloped rolls of film and then yes. more negatives and whatever. So amazing. And and I just, for me, it raised these questions similarly in some ways to the social media thing of, of, of like that, the distinction between creating and having an audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, let alone building a giant career. Yeah. And so we, I also want to talk about the movie itself, which I thought was wonderfully engaging and quirky and fun and would really encourage people to take the time to watch that film. Um, not just because of the interestingness of the artist who is being focused on. It's also streaming for free on Netflix. It's also streaming. Well, not for free. You have to oh, have you a have Netflix. To, uh, yeah. So All right. anyway, so you, if you have a Netflix account, it is streaming there. <laughs> so one of the things that I was thinking about, you know, last night, I was really struck with the possibility that she took so many pictures I really thought about what the action was doing. What was the goal of the action of taking these photos? Because she didn't print them. And there are a number of photographers who don't print, right? Um, But it is kind of a two-part process because you have the frame, but then you do a certain amount of editing in the print as well. There's there's a two-step editing process that happens. And you're choosing the darkness, the light, the The contrast, the size. Yeah. There's so many choices. Right. So those choices she's not making. Right. So, um, but you know, then you look at, but what she is doing is taking these pictures of people in situations and it's like, she's studying people almost. And there's a part of me that almost thinks, (laughs) yeah, that she's kind of trapping these little interactions or, you know, so that there was something beyond just the taking of the picture for her. Yeah. Well, because she was such in a that, hoarder, in that moment, think, right. right? She kept all these clothes and she kept newspapers and all these crazy articles. And there's something she didn't want to let go of. Right. And I think that there's something when we look at our own work and we think about what drives us and when we define what it means to be successful, 
Uh, I would say by every measure except for fame and money, she was hugely successful. Right. And that was exciting. I mean, it was exciting to see that part and to hold it separately, right? To say, look, she's created something exquisite. And that in and of itself is an accomplishment. We only know about it because of this other guy. But she, you know, and it just, for me, in terms of the things I've created, not that, you know, I'm saying they're that way, but that, that but it made me feel like they, that is an accomplishment in and of itself. You right. Know? And it made me feel heartened. It made me want to keep working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Not that you want the posthumous recognition, prefer, but... Prefer pre-humus. Prior, no. <laughs> um, just humus? Yeah, I don't know. No, no, no. <laughs> it sounds like recognition. Um, yeah, so I just, I, I think that, that there's an opportunity as artists to reflect on what are our drives in in the work that we create, yeah. you know. I think I, I've mentioned before Megalophobe and her personal thematic, but beyond that, I think meaning, that... Meaning, me just to clarify, meaning that everybody seems to have things they return to again and right. again. Right, so um, things that you are exploring or trying to come to terms with, but it's interesting if you look at why someone might choose the action of taking a photo or the action of painting or the action of making a film or the action of a poem Mm -hmm. or the action of a novel they're very different activities so what is it in the almost in the physicalization that you're doing or the action of posting something on facebook (laughs) or the action of posting something on facebook because i don't think you actually can deny that there's something that people get out of it certainly is a form of self-expression yeah it is time for Steal This. Steal This. Amateur poets borrow, said T.S. Eliot. Professional poets steal. I have to say, I've been seeing that quote around, and I think more than T.S. Eliot. Well, I always say that. I yeah. think he stole it from somebody, right? <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't the first to say it, but yes. he made it his own. Um, I'll start, mm-hmm. unless you want to start. No, go ahead. Start. Um, so, because I was sick last week, and I'm rarely sick, and even if I am sick, I rarely stop and actually, you know, allow myself to rest. Um, but I did, and I binge-watched, as you know, well know, in fact, you aided and abetted me in this, the entire first season of Homeland, which is now like five seasons in. So this is like five, I mean, in fact, I so lacked water cooler conversation that I actually Googled Emily Nussbaum plus Homeland first season just to make sure that like, because she's such a brilliant television critic. And I just thought like, I want someone to say this is sort of worthwhile since I hardly get to binge watch anything ever. She did think so. Well, that was your moment of, I didn't know if this was good. I didn't know know if this was good. No, not just the curation, but his statement, right? I didn't know if this was good, but I knew I liked it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But I was sick, so I could have been totally deluded. But anyway, so one of the things I thought was amazing about it that I would like to steal is the way that it sort of kept getting worse or kept getting higher stakes, you know? So it was just like, what could make this more dire what could make this more complicated and since it's like a five-year-old season one i'm just going to give an example so spoiler alert from like you know episode two or something of you know season one of homeland but so um claire danes's character you know is this brilliant hotshot cia you know detective essentially right functionally and 
um, action taker, totally devoted. And we see her taking these pills and there comes a question about it. And, and we learn early on that she um, has some sort of psych. Psychosis. I mean, later it turns out she's bipolar, but it's, it's sort of left vague at first that she has, that if without this medication, she will be delusional or something. I mean, I'm probably using the wrong language, but um, so to have somebody who, who can have these kind of warpings of reality, whose, whose job is to see these kind of warped conspiracies underneath the surface that are hidden is just like, oh my God, like, what do you do with that? Do you know what I mean? It just makes it so much more delicate and ramps up the stakes. And it, then it, of course, starts to engage with all of these wonderful issues about, you know, truth and and the role of imagination and even psychosis in figuring out what's really going on when, when what's going on doesn't isn't what seems to be going on. So just... Wow. But but on, but on the level of just like keep making it a little more just keep, like what would make what would twist this? What would twist this? What would twist this? And, the, and I guess the other thing I'll say is that and I noticed this in some of the genre because I've been reading a little bit of genre stuff is that um, is that you can have like everybody be kind of like gorgeous and brilliant and heroic in some way as long as they're all different. And I think that always just seems like impossible to me, even though. You know, my life is full of brilliant, gorgeous, amazing people. Heroic? Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you, I thought you were heroic swimming for 17 hours a day and with the kids on vacation and stuff. I mean, I think in some ways, the way that I see my people is, you know, is that they are all, and they're all really distinct. So um, sometimes I think it seems like reality, is, is that okay? Is is The reality is, is not that, and, and I think it is, so that's... So anyway, how about you? I'm going to steal the idea of being very concise. And what I'm going to say is that um, I've been reading about project-based learning more, getting myself more oriented to that. And I think there's something about, and actually Tim Ferriss does this, creating a hypothesis about how you approach something and testing it. And so I think I want to take a little bit of a scientific model. And an um, educational model. And an educational model mm-hmm. in developing... Um, you know, my projects and how I go forward. Very cool. We would love to hear from you about what you're thinking about any of this or anything else. Any questions you have, any recommendations you have, um, you can write to us at questions at storymakershow.com. You can find us at storymakershow.com and also on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you will go and rate us, that would be really exciting. That would be an exciting thing. We're not thing. asking, though, We're because... Not saying, please go do this for us. No. We think you will feel better about yourself. We think that you will be able to inform us how we're doing. Yes. Evaluate us. Close that feedback loop for us. Anyway, for what, whatever would inspire you, that would be great. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>